Well, we wondered, uh, we wondered how you guys would, uh, set up with the, like, simple church chair idea. You guys, like, we didn't know if it would be chaotic. Looks like you guys are pretty ingrained in terms of how we do, uh, like, almost perfect rows here. Uh, so, but we're gonna, we're gonna jump into the book of Acts. And, uh, we start a little bit of that, uh, at the park. Um, but as we jump into Acts, we're gonna give some background to Acts. Because what we're going to look at today is so important throughout uh, everything that we're looking at in this book. Um, so who exactly is the Holy Spirit? When you think of the Holy Spirit, what comes to your mind? Can we actually trust the Holy Spirit and not be weird about it? How do we know it's the Holy Spirit and not bad pizza from the night before that's talking to me? Is there evidence in my life that I'm actually following the Spirit today? Would someone ever be able to accuse me of that? I want an encounter with the Holy Spirit. I really do, but I don't even know how. I don't even know where to start with that. Maybe these are some of the questions that you've asked. Maybe these are some of the questions that you're asking now or that you asked in your house church. Uh, but we're going to start by looking at the Holy Spirit because if we don't understand the Holy Spirit, we're really going to miss the book of Acts. And uh, it's kind of like... Uh, Studying, studying a car, I know how a car works, but trying to get the car out on the road, but it's got no fuel in the tank. The Holy Spirit is the tank in the car that makes the church go. So we've got to make sure that we're understanding, uh, how fuel gets in the tank so that, uh, so that the church can continue on. We looked at the park, uh, that Luke is the author of two volumes, the book of Luke, story of Jesus, volume one, and volume two, Acts, and the early church, right? Acts of the Apostles is basically volume two, the story of the Holy Spirit. We hear about the everyone promise that's available, right? That everyone who believes, not just Israel, not just the Jewish people, but even the Gentiles, that everyone who believes in this risen Christ, this promise of redemption and renewal and salvation and hope is available. That's what Luke wants to tell us at the beginning. And he also wants us to see the role of the Holy Spirit. And personally speaking, I'm very excited about this series. And you're going to probably see some of that passion come out this morning. And here's why. There's been no area of growth in my own life as a Christian the last five years than when it comes to trusting and leaning into the Holy Spirit. And I'm so grateful for that. And I hope it's over the next five years it's even more. But I'm so passionate to speak about this because I get to speak out of my own experience uh, in this particular area. Because this whole book of Acts is about following this crazy, dangerous, exciting, um, adventurous spirit. And I don't want to spend my life being around Christians who are kind of bored. And are just kind of waiting until God comes again. And we're just going to sort of bide our time and figure out something to do until then. I don't want to live that way. I don't want you to live that way. And when I see people that really are walking in step with the Spirit, their life is full of adventure and excitement. And don't you want that? That's what I want. And in Acts, the Holy Spirit guides the church in spreading the good news about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit was a consistent strand running throughout the New Testament. See, if we're going to understand Acts, in fact, if we're going to understand Jesus, <laughs> we have to actually understand the Holy Spirit. And we have to wrestle with who is the Holy Spirit and how do I as a Christian join with the Spirit in ways that honor Him. And by the way, we don't choose the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't optional. <laughs> when we're followers of Jesus, it's actually a part of the process. 
And so I, I, I know that there's a lot of stuff and emotion and background and history that a lot of us have coming in. And there may be all sorts of alarm bells going off in your brain because maybe you've had some weird experiences or I'm not sure what to do with that. And we're going to talk about that in a couple minutes because we have to acknowledge that. But Greg Boyd, who's a teacher in uh, St. Paul, uh, Minnesota, he said it's important for us to understand that in the New Testament, especially in Acts, people didn't just have... Uh, have knowledge of the Holy Spirit or information about or a belief in the Holy Spirit. They actually had an encounter, a first-hand experience with the Holy Spirit and they lived into that. we got to acknowledge, first and foremost, where we're coming from. And I don't know about you, this is my story too, so I don't want to project that on you, but I know I'm not the only one. Here are some things that we carry in with us about the Holy Spirit. First one is, is ignorance. Some of you say, I just don't know. I mean, I, I just don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. I've heard it. I, 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 don't, I don't know. Some of you, it may be confusion to say, oh, I've experienced it, but man, it's just this happened and that happened. I'm hearing this and then I see this and I'm confused. Like, I just need somebody to help me understand this. And some of you also carry a lot of hurt. Maybe there's been someone that's abused, the Holy Spirit abuse, and kind of hurt you or embarrassed you or humiliated you because of that. I was with the Schwanksville House Church last week and a lot of people, we went around the room and a lot of people acknowledged, man, when I hear the Holy Spirit, I think of this because I just got humiliated in this setting. I, I just got trashed. I, I was hurt because of what they said to me and I didn't think that was anything of what was smelled anything like Jesus, but they said it was. And, and so it's important for us to acknowledge that we, some of us have baggage. There's a bad experience that's keeping us from actually embracing the invitation that the Holy Spirit wants to have as a good invitation to us. And here are some additional barriers that we have. The first one is we live in a culture in America and in the Northeast where we don't like interruptions. And the Holy Spirit seems to major in interruptions. <laughs> right? The second thing is, and this is probably the most pervasive, is that we have a worldview our Western worldview doesn't allow for the supernatural. There's always got to be cause and effect. Well, that happened because of this. Well, if you really knew what happened, then, and we just, we, this is, has a stronghold on our mindset. We have to acknowledge that. And then third, as I mentioned already, our baggage that we carry in and go, well, that's, that's just too, uh, that's just too weird for me. So I want to just acknowledge very foundationally who is the Holy Spirit, how does the Holy Spirit work, because if we don't get that at the foundational level, then we're going to just be shooting in all sorts of directions throughout the book of Acts that will be unhelpful. So today is we're just going to sharpen the tip of that pencil to make sure that we know exactly what Scripture has to say about the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, I know we were used to discussion and breakouts, but because this is so important, this is going to be a little bit more directive in terms of the teaching time. All right? So, uh, I hope I can contain my passion because this is really exciting stuff. Okay? So, the first thing is this. We got to understand who is the Holy Spirit? That the Holy Spirit is an active member of the Trinity. Okay? An active. And that's a very important word. Active. An active member of the Trinity. It's not... The Father up here and the Son, and then we'll just kind of throw the Holy Spirit into the bottom of the Trinity totem pole. Okay? One God, three expressions of this one God. The Trinity is a hard concept theologically to understand. I was trying to explain this to Carter as we were driving to Schwenksville House Church. 
In second grade, he learned about the properties of water, right? You know, solid, liquid, gas. And I said, but what is it always? It's still water, right? And it always breaks down. But of trying to understand that one God expresses uh, himself in different ways. And the Holy Spirit is a very important, active member of the Trinity. Not thrown in as an afterthought, but a very important, active, current, active member and not a lesser part. Um, the second thing is that the Holy Spirit is holy. There are other spirits that exist. In the supernatural world, there are other spirits. But when something is holy, it means what? It's distinct, unique, set apart, uh, different. And so the Holy Spirit, connected to the Holy God, that it's unique, it's powerful, it's supreme. The Holy Spirit is there. Now, how many of you in your house church last weekend looked at John 14, Jesus' words in John 14 about who is the Holy Spirit? Okay? Alright? So Jesus said some things just by, by way of review. Jesus clearly lays out. He tells His disciples, I'm going to leave you, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you alone. And He begins to describe the character and the nature of the Holy Spirit. And here are a few things that He says. First of all, He says, I'm going to give you an advocate. And some translations say helper or giver or guide or friend. Um, the word, not to get all nerdy, the word is parakletos, which frustratingly is translated in some of our Bibles, paraclete. Well, that's really helpful. That clears everything up, doesn't it? What the heck is a paraclete? It's kind of like an advocate or a guide or a, it's similar to a camp counselor. You ever had a good, you went away to camp, you had a good camp counselor experience? Right? They're there to protect you, help you, guide you, make sure you uh, enjoy and experience everything that you should at camp. Right? That's a paraclete, an advocate. But he also says this guide will be one that will teach you and remind you of everything that I've told you. So he's a teacher and he's a reminderer. Those times where you say, I shouldn't be doing this. That little nagging thing in you. It's the Holy Spirit reminding you. This is not the way of the king. This is not how we operate in the kingdom of God. right? Or it could be I'm discouraged or anxious and I'm reminded, boom, something drops in my heart of an encouragement, a reminder, a promise, a scripture. That's a teacher. That's a reminder that the Holy Spirit is there. The other one is, is gift. Now, I have, uh, I have a relative, an extended relative. I will rename, I will, uh, I'll leave her unnamed here. She is wonderful. She remembers every birthday and every holiday. And the thing is, she kind of forgets that I'm like 10 years older than I really am. This is my whole life. So she would always send me stuff that I would go, wow, that's so thoughtful of her. My second thought is, how quickly can I get this to the thrift store? How quickly can I donate this to the vets? It has no relevance or worth in my life. And I go, oh, how thoughtful of her. No offense, but I can't use this. I'm not 15 years old. Um, and so that was the thought. Now, I have a mother-in-law who is an amazing gift giver. And she's able to give me gifts of stuff that I don't even know that I would like until I get them and I go, this is amazing. And I use it all the time now. See, I had thought that the Holy Spirit was like the gift giver of my extended relative. Wow, that's so thoughtful. Oh, she loves me but it has no meaning or relevance or worth or significance in my life. Instead, the last five years, the Lord's helped me see that He knew He actually wants to give me gifts kind of like the way my mother-in-law gives me gifts. 
meaningful in ways I didn't even know until I actually experienced it. Does that make sense? We have to see it as a gift, as a gift, but not in this way, but in the way that it's meaningful and significant and relevant to my everyday life. Significant stuff. And Jesus also says the comforter or the strengthener. Now, I used to hear comforter and think it was like my little passy. When I'm tired, I have my little security blanket. The better word for comforter is actually strengthener. Now, think a bit about this for a second. This is something that a few years ago, Cindy Culp helped me understand. He said, why in the world would you need a comforter? It's because if I'm following the radical Jesus, he's going to take me into some very uncomfortable places. When I'm in that uncomfortable place and I go, oh, this is scary, I'm out of my comfort zone, this is all the faith I can muster, the Holy Spirit is that gift that comes along as a gift and says, I'm here to strengthen you. You're okay. You're not alone. I've got you. You can do this. Maybe for some of us who don't see the Holy Spirit as a comforter or that much of a need to be comforted, maybe we're not stepping out into the uncomfortable world of obedience the way we could or should. So when we step out following Jesus, Jesus says, I give you a gift and I'm going to strengthen you in your discomfort. It's pretty cool, isn't it? So he's our strengthener in the midst of that. All right? The next thing, and again, I'll get a little nerdy with you on language here. Next slide. This is kind of cool. There are two words for spirit. The first one at the top is ruach. I'm going to hear you say ruach. ruach. You have to hock a loogie there at the end. I'm going to wipe your mouth when you're done, right? It's Hebrew. So in the Old Testament, ruach means spirit, but it also is the same word for wind and breath. The great thing about ruach is that on a cold day, when you say the word, you actually embody it. When you say ruach, you actually make wind and can see it like that. It's kind of neat. Now, in the New Testament, which is mostly written in Greek, it's the word pneuma. Not pneuma, but pneuma, like when you get pneumonia. What happens when you get pneumonia? You have trouble breathing, right? So this idea of pneuma is wind, breath, or spirit. You know that weird passage in John 20 where Jesus is with his disciples? They're gathered around and it says, and he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I mean, like just feel the awkwardness of that, okay? (sighs) Receive the Holy Spirit. (laughs) What is he doing? It's a play on words. He pneumed on them and said, receive the pneuma. I think you'd remember that. Right? So, how does the Spirit work? Wind and breath. Right? It's kind of cool, right? So, we see throughout Scripture, gentle breeze kind of works of the Spirit. And we see hurricane-like forces. But that's very important for us to understand this. That the Spirit works in sensational and subtle ways. Sometimes we can overemphasize the sensational, and we, that's what we see on late night religious television, everyone's going crazy. And then we just underplay or ignore the fact that there are subtle promptings that exist. Or we can go the other way. Oh, God only will like nudge me and whisper and do these things. But it doesn't work in those big sensational ways anymore. Both of those are inaccurate. God, through the Holy Spirit, works in both the sensational and the subtle. And we have to acknowledge that. We have to realize he double majors in both of those. 
And that's an important thing. Just like there are gentle breezes that blow this weekend with the windows open through my living room in a very comforting way, but also knowing August, September, it's hurricane season. That Man, that wind sometimes causes some destruction. Shut some things down. Right? And then the last thing, and I hope it's the most comforting thing, is that the Spirit is always Jesus-centered. This has been really comforting for me. The Spirit will never do anything that runs counter to who Jesus is. Let that sink in. As a follower of Jesus, that is so comforting for me. Because if we're listening correctly, we'll be able to see and experience more of Jesus because of the Spirit. We don't have to be so afraid. Again, some of you carry a lot of baggage or may have experienced abuse or hurt or wounds or creepiness when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And I grew up in a tradition that thought the Holy Spirit was weird and couldn't be trusted. Now, they would never say that. They would mention it. They would talk about the Holy Spirit. In addition, you know, but that's certainly how everyone perceived it, in addition to what I saw on late night religious television in high school just totally confused me and creeped me out. And I didn't understand who the Holy Spirit was. And it took me years to see this as a gift that God was giving to me. And I want to acknowledge that that may be the case in your life. In fact, that may be the greatest barrier right now to you actually experiencing the Spirit. It's just being able to like let go of that baggage. In fact, some of us may have said, no, I had such a, a weird experience or it was such a damaging experience that I'm never, I, I just don't know if I could ever trust the Holy Spirit again with that. But that's like saying, I dated a girl in high school and she was evil and she broke my heart and she stabbed me in the back and she left me and therefore I'm never going to date a woman ever again because I'm sure they're all that way. That would just be unfair because that's not true. Just because of one experience over here doesn't mean that's the way that the Spirit works. So let's talk about just a few of the misconceptions of the Holy Spirit. And these are some of my own. I want to offer these to you and maybe they connect to some of your story and where you're at. But the first misconception that I had, and the only way I can describe it, is awkward party guy. You know? <laughs> Ever go to a party and you, maybe not this awkward... But there's, there's some, it's this awkward party guy. And here's what I mean by this. I'm in a room, or I'm in a building, or I'm in a house, and there's a bunch of people there. But there's that awkward guy. Like, I know him. I, I don't know him well. It'd be rude for me to ignore him. He's in the same room as me. And so I just kind of, hey, how's it going? But I'm saying to myself, please don't come over to my corner of the room. Like, you just creep me out a little bit too much. So, like, I'll acknowledge you. Hey, I'm in the same room and we're cool, right? But I'm just afraid I'm going to be cornered by the punch bowl and he's going to say or do something that's going to embarrass me or make it weird in front of all of my friends. So as long as I'm in the room, I'm good. Hey, stay over there. We're good, right? Right? Because I just don't want people to look over and be like, awkward, right? And I just would fear the weird with the awkward party guy. I mean, I was just so afraid that the Holy Spirit, if I engaged with the Holy Spirit too much, that He would force me to get up and run around the auditorium naked during worship or something. Like, I just... Hey, stay over there. But being open to the Spirit, by the way, doesn't mean you have to stop using your brain. Trusting the Spirit doesn't mean we have to 
let go of any relational or emotional intelligence. We can love God with our mind. We're told to do that. Doesn't mean we have to be all weird and kooky and crazy. We don't have to be awkward party guy. Now here's the second thing, and maybe that's not you, but for me, I, I approach the Spirit also like mascot of the Trinity. And what I mean by this is sort of, again, this lesser member of the Trinity. He's present and fun, and I feel I have warm, fuzzy experiences when I'm around him, but I don't actually fully take him seriously. Right? I go, whoa, yeah, this feels great. But I would never sit down to actually have a legitimate, serious conversation with him. Because he's a mascot. Just give me the warm fuzzies, and we're good, but I don't really take you too seriously. This is how I approach the Holy Spirit, embarrassingly, for years. Or maybe it's this third one, where you approach it like a pet on a leash. Where you have the Spirit on the leash, and you say, Okay, look, isn't he so cute? He's my buddy. I'm going around with him everywhere. And if I can trust him, I'll let the leash out a little bit longer. But if he's doing something he shouldn't, I'll pull him back in and I'm going to keep him on a short leash. And I have to train the Holy Spirit not to pee over there and not to poop in that corner and not to jump on that. And so I'm going to kind of control on the leash. And as long as I'm in control, this spirit thing works fine. But as long as I'm in control, I'll never actually understand his power, his relationship, his desire, because the control dynamic is backwards. And though these perceptions were prevalent in my own life, and maybe they're prevalent some in your life too, none of them are accurate. <laughs> so how does the Holy Spirit work? And here's a, here's a list of how the Holy Spirit works. Just a, a simple list for you. All right? Now, the first one is just promptings or whispers or nudges. And again, this could be conviction of sin or reminders or promises of truth that were forgotten. And I'll give you an example. Mother's Day afternoon, many of you know that we love our canoe. And so we take our canoe out. We were at Peace Valley Park with some friends. And, and uh, it was great. We were scattered all over the place. Some people took the canoe out. We were throwing the ball around. Carter and I, he's been playing Little League Baseball, so he wanted to practice his pitching. So we brought our gloves, and we went over to a grassy area, and I was squatting down to catch. And a ball went over my head. He, he threw one high, so I went to go, to go get it. And I noticed that there was a middle-aged guy. Um, it looked like a father, and he had like probably an 11- or 12-year-old son and maybe an 8-year-old. And as I was walking to get the ball, they were just standing, like, looking up. And they were looking at a Mylar balloon, uh, which I just happened to look up, and there's a Mylar balloon above me I didn't notice right now. And it was floating away. And my first thought was, oh, they accidentally let a balloon off. Whoops, you know? Uh, we've all done that, right? But they were standing there with such peace, and they were just staring at it. And as I'm picking the ball up, I look up, and it's a heart-shaped pink balloon that says Mom on it. And the Holy Spirit in that moment said, they're remembering the loss of their mom. They intentionally let that go. And it was just weird picking that ball up. And the Spirit said, I want you to talk to them. Like, I don't talk to them. They're having a moment. I don't know them. I'm playing baseball. I want you to talk to them. They stood there for a while and they took pictures of the balloon and dad kind of put his arm around his two boys and I thought, wow, my heart's racing. I don't know what to do. And 
They're still down there, and so Carter, we're throwing a few more balls. They start walking up, and I said, Carter, hold on, hold on a second, buddy. So I threw the ball back to him, and I went up to him, and I said, Hey, uh, I don't mean to interrupt, but can I ask you a question? Are you remembering the loss of your wife and your mom today on Mother's Day? And he said, Yeah, yep, it's been a tough day. And I said, I'm so sorry. How long, you know, has this happened? I said, Several months. And I said, So, if you don't mind me asking, what do you remember about your mom or about your wife? And he said, Well, she's been sick for quite some time. But we're just trying to stay together. And I said, um, I said at our church this morning, I, I said we, we we pray on Mother's Day, and we know that also there are times where uh, we pray for people who've lost their mom. That this is their first year without mom. And I said I'm not trying to make this weird or uncomfortable, but can I pray for you right now? And they said that would be great. So here we are in like the boat ramp launch area at Peace Valley Park. Everyone's, you know, having fun and cookouts and hanging out. And I just got my arm around these three guys, I don't know, praying for them. My heart's racing. But the Holy Spirit is my strengthener, right? Who guided me and said, I want you to go talk to him. And then says, it's okay. This is where I want you to be. And they said, amen. And they said, we really needed this today. We needed something to remind us we're going to be okay. They never asked me my name. I don't remember their names. I don't know if I'll ever see them again. But something was unleashed in my soul to be able to walk away and say, I followed the Spirit today. And it didn't have to be weird or kooky. But God used me to bless someone. And I want that to be normal. I want that to be regular. God can work in all sorts of promptings and things like this, where we submit our story moment by moment. Because that's the only way we can really submit to God in faith anyway, right? Moment by moment. We have to grow to give these intuitions and these nudges credibility. And not just think, well, that was weird. Where did that thought come from? Say, you know what? Let me just lean in. I may be wrong. But you know what? It still smells like Jesus to ask someone to pray for them. They could still say no. Can I risk that? Yeah, I can risk that. But they walked away saying, you've given us a gift. And I went, oh yeah, gift. The Holy Spirit's supposed to be a gift. Huh. Imagine that. He wants a relationship with us and we don't have to be afraid of Him. These are these nudges and reminders and guide and paraclete, good camp counselor He wants to be for us. And of course, Scripture, uh, some of us uh, are familiar with Second, uh, uh, Second Timothy chapter 3. It says, all Scripture is God-breathed. By the way, you want to break that word down? Some people say all Scripture is inspired. What happens when you're inspired? Someone inspires you, what do they do? <gasps> Takes your breath away? Spirit? Inspire? So if Scripture is God-breathed, inspired, what does that mean? What, what, is, what is Paul trying to say in Second Timothy? God does what? He blows His Spirit into Scripture. So it isn't ink on pages. It's actually a living, breathing document that relates to your life today, right now, and every day forward. Holy Spirit works through the Scriptures. Right? How many times 
Have we read something a thousand times and for whatever reason we wake up one day and then we just go, I never saw that. That hit me in a way. That's the Holy Spirit breathing into the Scriptures. Other people. We see this in the Old and the New Testament. Right? God uses them to relay an important message to them. And then the miraculous you know, dreams and visions and healings and outpouring of power. And this is somebody who says, you've got me until now. This is weird. This is the part that's the hardest for me to accept. But have you ever even noticed in the Scriptures, the God-inspired, the God-breathed Scriptures? How about even Jesus' birth story? You ever notice how many dreams and visions exist within like one or two chapters? It's all over the place. The Magi, right? Some don't even think they were followers of Yahweh. God shows up in, in their dreams. Right? It says, go this way. Okay? And go home this way. And then with Mary and Joseph, right? Angels show up and Joseph has dreams and then they go down to Egypt and says, stay there. And then he has a dream and says, you're okay. You can go back now. Right? God's showing up in miraculous ways with his son at the time of his birth. How about Paul? We see Paul as a pastor or a theologian, but more than anything, Paul is a charismatic. Paul can't get through a chapter of his letters without talking about the role of the Spirit. Try. I've studied Acts. There's only one chapter in the book of Acts that doesn't talk directly about how the Holy Spirit worked. Only one. But Paul's a charismatic. Now, just this week, maybe you heard this this week. This is an awesome story. I was so inspired by this. I shared this with the elders this week. This is just so so fun. Um, just this week, I was reading this fascinating piece on an ISIS fighter. Not this exact ISIS fighter, but but ISIS fighter who claimed to enjoy killing Christians. This takes great enjoyment in it. But as he's doing this, he kept having these visions of a man in white visiting him saying, you're killing my people. You're killing my people. He didn't know what this was. He started to feel really sick and uneasy about what he's been doing with ISIS in terms of killing Christians. And the fighter explained um, that right before killing one particular Christian, one of the victims said, I know you're going to kill me, but I want you to have my Bible. And he killed this Christian, and he took his Bible home and began to read it. And as he began to read it, he had another dream, and the dream said, this man in white visited him again and said, I want you to follow me. I want you to follow me. Over and over again in his dream. Now, there was a missionary there in the Middle East with an organization called Youth with a Mission, YWAM. Some of you are familiar with that. And this missionary, somehow, kind of a, a person knew about this ISIS fighter and these weird dreams. This, someone connected this missionary with this ISIS fighter to have a meeting. Now, I don't know about you, I don't want to have a meeting <laughs> with an ISIS fighter if I'm a YWAM missionary. But in faith, this YWAM missionary said, I'll meet with them. And the, and, the, and the ISIS fighter sat down with him and said, Who is this man in my dream wearing white telling me, Stop killing my people and follow me? And the YWAM missionary goes, I know exactly who that is. His name is Jesus. And the ISIS fighter became a Christian. Now, I want more of those stories to happen. And many of us have been praying that there would be a Paul among some of this ISIS fighting and these persecutions. Now, let me ask you this. What do we do with something like that? 
absolutely documented in the news. What do we do with stories like this? Who's going, oh, it's just a coincidence. Oh, somebody's just making it up. But really, what if God actually wants to work that way? Through dreams and visions and the miraculous. We can look at that and say, isn't that a very Jesus-centered thing for the Holy Spirit to do? Sounds pretty Jesus-centered to me. Doesn't that sound a lot like how God got a hold of a rebel fighter's life named Saul, who was killing Christians and turned him around to be the greatest influence of the early church in Asia Minor, and then changing his name to Paul and seeing the church spread? If that's how you came to faith on the road to Damascus, maybe you'd be a charismatic in your life too. <laughs> so Acts 1.8, which we looked at in the park, Jesus says in the last lecture to his disciples, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you with power, right? Dynamis, dynamite, spiritual dynamite. You and I have been given power. Not to abuse, but to steward. To steward appropriately as a gift from the Spirit to us. Now, growing up, Megan had two dogs. Some of you have heard me tell this story because this is just so helpful for me to understand this idea of dynamis. The first dog she had was a 160-pound mastiff named Gus. Okay? You guys ever been around a mastiff? I wish there was a person next to this mastiff. This is a ginormous dog. Ginormous. Okay? Gus. But she also had another one named Kobe, six-pound Yorkshire Terrier in the house. Okay? I mean, like, you know, like... Like football size, right? Now, here's the deal. I mean, Gus, huge, ginormous. People would be afraid. Little Kobe, how cute. Guess who ruled the house? Kobe. How many of you have owned a Yorkie? You know this is pretty typical for Yorkies, right? So here's this little six-pound Yorkie. And here's Gus. You take Gus out for a walk through the neighborhood, and there'd be a turned-over trash can. <laughs> Gus, you're huge, and you're afraid of empty trash cans. Someone would come to the door. Kobe, you know, door would be open, glass. <laughs> she wanted to rip everyone's head off. She thought she ruled the house. In fact, she probably did, actually, at six pounds. Now, here's the deal. Sometimes they would fight over food, Gus and Kobe. And Kobe always got the food. It was so pitiful to see Gus just cowering in the corner. I mean, she could have stepped on Kobe and killed, killed Kobe. And there were so many times where I said, Gus, if you only knew how much power you have, you would live so differently. And after saying that one time, it just kind of straight, straightened right up and I said, Maybe that's what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell me. Maybe I have all this power, like Gus, but live like I don't. Maybe I'm actually operating like Gus and people are saying, how pathetic. You have all this power in you. And you're acting like you're six pounds. Said, man, Gus, if you only had the tenacity of Kobe living inside of your physical Gus body, you'd be unstoppable. I wonder if the Holy Spirit says that to many of us. 
You have power in you. You have this dynamis. This spiritual TNT of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Why don't you live like it? I think that's the invitation that the Spirit has for us here. And by the way, the Spirit is not a pet on a leash. It's not us to determine the length of the leash and pull him in. In fact, when we actually trust the Spirit, it's the humiliating act of taking the leash and handing it to the Holy Spirit and then taking the other end of the leash, unhooking it off the Spirit and hooking it to our collar, and then we get down on all fours. And then we say, you lead me with the length of your leash that I need to be on. That's the humility it takes for us to get down on all fours and switch the end of the leash to say, you guide not me try to guide you. And that's what I needed to do for me to move forward was to realize my arrogance and my desire for control. To say, no, no, no. I've got this mixed up. I get down on all fours. I hook it to my collar. I hand him the leash and say, you take me where you want me to go. That's when we begin to trust the Holy Spirit. I'm going to end with with this metaphor because it's a strong one and an important one, one that's helped me and I think in our, the Schwenkswell House Church conversation it helped last week too. In Galatians 5, it says that we're to walk in step with the Spirit. Not run ahead, not lag behind, but walk in step with the Spirit. And maybe a, a, another way to put that, if I could paraphrase it, is to go sailing with the Spirit. Some of you I know have been sailing. I think the Smiths have some sailing background. And, that, and some others. I, I didn't have, you know, in theory, I mean, sailing looks cool. And my, my uncle, who's a teacher down in the Tampa Bay area, over the summer, he, he loves to tinker with things, take things apart, rebuild them. He just has a, a handyman mindset and some patience with that. So one summer, he said, I'm going to buy an old boat. I mean, a really old, dilapidated sailboat. And I'm going to spend a whole year fixing it up. So he fixed it up. Patched it up, learned all about it, invited others who knew how to sail to teach him how to do it. Then when my brother and Megan and I went down, he took us sailing one day on the Tampa Bay. We didn't know anything we were doing, but he did. So he took us on his sailboat. This isn't it. It was a much smaller boat than this one um, that we went on. But beautiful day out there. And it wasn't until I went sailing that I realized what my role in participating with the Spirit is like. Because what I found out is that what you don't do, which makes obvious sense, is you don't hook a 200-horsepower motorboat or motor to the end of your sailboat, right? I could get to the other side of the Tampa Bay pretty quickly by doing that, thus defeating the purpose of sailing, <laughs> right? Just go rent a motorboat then. But what we also don't do is just get in the middle of the water and say, well, the wind's powerful enough. I'm not even going to put the sails up. We're just going to sit under... You know, underneath and just kind of take our time and see where the wind takes us. No, it's not taking all the effort and it's not doing none of the effort. We actually join with the wind and have a role to play. What I learned, my, my uncle knew all sorts of ropes, right? You heard the phrase, learning the ropes, sailing. You got to learn how to tie and tack and do all this stuff. And he says, oh, the wind's changing. Come on, help me pull this one up. Okay, we got to let this one down, right? By the end of the day, we were physically exhausted. But 
Because we learned how to read it correctly, he learned how to read the wind, he had the tools, he knew how to take care of his equipment, he learned the ropes, he knew the timing, the angles, all that. He was then able to put himself in a position in our sailboat to be able to catch the wind so that the wind could do its work. And it was at that moment I said, I get it now, God, I get it. I do have a role to play. Not to take on everything, but I need to learn the ropes. I need to be sensitive to the wind. I need to learn the way the wind works and how it changes and to realize it's going to cause, it's going to have some work for me. But I'll tell you, even though I was physically exhausted, when we started catching the wind, the wind was blowing, this is what we're doing. I mean, it was so much fun. So we got to the end of the day and said, I'm exhausted and it was awesome. Can we do that again? I think that's a great metaphor for us in our role. We don't just sit in the boat and go, well, God's big. He can do whatever he wants. And we just cower in the corner of the boat in a fetal position. And he says, I want to use you. I need to use you. Come on, let's do this together. Let's walk in step with the Spirit. Let's sail together. I need you to learn the ropes and learn tacking and take care of the equipment. But i got to be the one that's going to blow you across this bay of life. If not, you're just going to be bobbing in the middle. Does that make sense? I want to return back to that because I think this is very important for us. Some of us try to hook the 200 horsepower engine. Some of us just say, well, if he wants to do it, I'll just, uh, you know, sit here and he can do, he's big. No, he says, come on, come on, come on, come on. That's not how we sail. Let's do it together. And then he wants to hear us go, woohoo! That was fun. I'm tired, but that was fun. Let's do it again. Real briefly, maybe another way to put it is this. Bunch of balloons. You got a bunch of balloons just sitting there. It's great, but we need someone to pick it up and with breath and wind inflate it. Your life is a balloon. Are we accessible to allow the Holy Spirit to pick it up? Or like a trumpet. You can have a great trumpet on the table, but if no one's going to pick it up and start blowing into it, it doesn't matter. It has no worth until someone's willing to use it the way it's intended to be used. Your life is a sailboat. Your life is a balloon. Your life is a jazz trumpet. And we can't do it on our own. We aren't the one blowing wind in these three things. But we can do our part to have everything ready to make sure that that happens. And let me, let me, let me make this very important note as we think about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to land this plane here. And I hope this is comforting for you. Next slide. We're not always going to get it right all of the time. And that's okay. It's okay. Because when you were a kid and you tried to take your first steps and you fell down on your diaper, your dad didn't say, she screwed it up. She's never going to walk again. We'll never let her try. When you were a kid and you were learning to ride your bike and you fell off, your parents didn't say, we're never going to let him try to ride a bike again. See, screwed it up. If you're new to this, we can't be afraid of falling off the bike or tripping and falling. If we're going to learn to walk and step with the Spirit, you learn to fall on your fanny in your diaper when you were a kid. And you say, oh, try it again. Oh, it's okay. You can do it. Oh, you took two steps. Great. You took ten. I think that's what the Spirit wants us to do. Say, hey, you can do this. We're not going to get it all right all the time. And it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. 
I don't always get it right. In fact, when I went to talk to that those, that father and two boys, I didn't know if I was getting it right or not. I only learned about it afterwards. There are times I think it's a prompting of the Holy Spirit, and I get done and go, that was awkward, fell flat, I don't think anything, well, maybe I missed it. Okay. Okay. Lord, help me next time. Help me next time. Let me give you just a couple next steps as we end here, because we, we, we do want to end, but... You know, we'll, we'll take an intermission and we'll have communion and we always have our prayer team available. And you all know that and some of you have utilized that. But as we enter into this series on Acts and the Holy Spirit, I just want to encourage all of us to at some point this summer, and maybe it's today, to utilize the prayer team. The prayer team is there to help. And maybe it's one of these three things you need to ask for prayer for. Maybe you just say with the prayer team, hey, number one, will you pray I can let go of this baggage? Because this is really blocking the system of me understanding the Spirit. i got to let go of this. And this has been hard from my past, whether last month or a decade ago or whatever. Can you just pray that God would take away this bad baggage? I don't want to do it anymore. i, I just got to cut those ropes and i got to move on. Will you pray for that? Number one. Number two, some of you are saying, I want to pray for hunger. Will you just pray that I just hunger... The whole, for the Holy Spirit. I think when we hunger, the Holy Spirit doesn't say, well, I don't know, I have to think about that. When we're hungering for it, I think just like when your kids are really longing for something, you want good gifts for your kids. Jesus says, you who are evil, even though you want good things for your kids, how much more do I want to do that for my kids? So if you hunger for that, say, I'm nervous, I'm open, I'm confused, I'm still learning, but I'm hungry. That honors God's heart. That's number two. And number three, and this is very simple, not just with the prayer team, I think this is a great prayer for all of us. Four-word prayer. Holy Spirit, surprise me. Just surprise me this summer. Surprise me in some way. Because I think the Holy Spirit is in the business of surprising us. And if we can trust Him, that He's going to be a comforter and a reminderer and a gift, surprises are great. It's stale, predictable, status quo Christians that I have trouble being around. <laughs> but the most contagious Christians are those who are saying, this is such an adventure following Jesus. Man, I'm exhausted, but woo, this is exhilarating. No one gets done trolling across the Tampa Bay with their motor in the back. Going, that was the most exhilarating boat ride ever. I want to be able to have this adventure with the Lord. Doesn't mean fireworks all the time, but adventure with the Lord. And so maybe that's the prayer. Holy Spirit, surprise me. Holy Spirit, surprise our house church. Holy Spirit, surprise our church. So let's lean into the Holy Spirit to ask Him to reveal Himself to us in ways He hasn't before. So let me end with prayer. And at the end of prayer, we'll take intermission and we can go retrieve our children and bring them back in. Uh, I know this was different than what we've done in 2015. We've had lots of discussion. And I would have loved for us to ask the question here, by the way, what sticks out? What's bubbling to the surface? You know, what's still hard to accept? What's been freeing this morning? And I think if we had another 10 or 15 minutes, I think that would have been great. But I wanted to make sure we just had really clear pencil tip sharpening morning of who is the Spirit because it's so important. Um, but I want to encourage you in your house churches this coming week to say, what, what's bubbling to the surface? What sticks out? What, what do you still need to wrestle with? But let me pray for that now. God, uh, thanks for the Spirit. Uh, thanks for the Holy Spirit who's here among us now 
working whether we realize it or not. Lord, we need some help with this baggage. I think every one of us have it. We live in a culture that says that the supernatural can't be trusted, where there's always an explanation. And that worldview can dominate everything that we do and think, even how we think about God. Free us from that. Lord, uh, help us to let go of the, the weird factor. Help us to not see you as the awkward party guy. Help us to not be satisfied with just waving to some acquaintance across the room at a party. Help us to take the leash and turn the ends of the leash around for us to get on all fours and maybe even confess, God, I've tried to control you. Now I need you to control me. God, whatever's blocking the system, whatever's blocking access, would you just work to loosen that rock and push that rock out of our hearts and our minds? God, surprise us here at Renew. Surprise us today. Surprise us the rest of today, this summer, this year. We want to look back and go, Woo! What a God that we get to sail across the bay together in a local expression of church. Do a new work. Do a new thing. And Lord, may we live up to the name of our church. Would you renew us in our understanding of who the Spirit is? Would you renew us by allowing us to slough off the cynicism or the burns or the hurt or the scars or the hopelessness or the tiredness when it comes to what we think about the Spirit. God, thanks for this gift. Help us to see you as a gift to guide us, remind us, teach us, advocate for us, and be our friend. And it's with that that we pray. Amen. Amen.